Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 25 years. I'm a life coach, author, and speaker. I also work full-time as a process analyst in the power industry. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had diabetes for nine years. I love hiking and painting. I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after I get my degree in college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my life and my future, to learn everything I can about type 1 diabetes. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 102 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today we're talking about diabetic ketoacidosis, which is AA. But before we get into that, we have our wins, fails, and hacks, and I have the win this week. And I think this is actually my first non-diabetes-related win that I've shared here. So I'm an author, and I have been working on my first novel basically since junior high school. And as of this recording, I am almost done with my third draft rewrites, which means I'm on track to publish in November. So as soon as I set up an author page to sign up for people to sign up for a launch team and get other updates, I will share that on this podcast. It's basically a dream come true for me to be published. And like each time I work with my editor, it gets so much better. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Jesse, what is your fail? So my fail this week is that I bought some sticker band-aid skin tack things from Amazon, different from the ones that I usually wear. I can't remember what they're called, but I bought different ones. And instead of lasting seven days or when my, till my CGM died, it didn't. So that was pretty disappointing because I was kind of looking forward to trying something else, you know, that would work, but I guess it didn't. And it's not a very big thing, which I'm very thankful for it not being a huge issue, but it just didn't meet my expectations. I will be using them up though and quickly as I can. And I'll probably have to modify the way I use them by like cutting the stuff off that unsticks itself from me. So then there's nothing to like get attached to like say it gets attached to my shirt, then the whole thing doesn't come off, but I can, I'll probably make it work. I actually had that with a different formula of the Griff Grips that I used to get. I got the really stretchier ones first, and those ones peeled, like, right off. So I stopped getting that type from Griff Grips, and I ended up getting the more, like, sport-type ones that stick on way longer. So it's a little bit different material. All right, so the tip this week is to share the warning signs of diabetic ketoacidosis, or DKA, with your coworkers and your bosses if you're working, and with your classmates and your teachers if you're in school. And that includes college. So sometimes we're just so all up in our own heads that we just don't recognize the signs and symptoms of DKA in the moment that we need another person clued in on it. You need to let other people help look out for you. And there is a link in the show notes here uh, about a woman who shared her story about DKA with Medtronic. And she actually worked for Medtronic. And she she basically forgot to take care of her diabetes. She works for Medtronic and she forgot to take care of her diabetes. That's just what happens to us. So make sure that your the people you work with and the people you're around know what the warning signs are. So with that, what is DKA? So diabetic ketoacidosis is a medical diagnosis term for the buildup of acids in your blood. 
It's literally your blood pH tipping from slightly alkaline or basic to more acidic. And to kind of give a more vivid example, it's your blood eating your body from the inside out because of the acid in it. It is a very serious diabetes complication that can totally kill you if you don't treat it in time. It can take many hours to develop, but the longer that you wait to get it treated or get treated, the worse you'll be. And the higher your blood sugar is, the more at risk you are for DKA. A thousand MGDL, the organs start shutting down. And many people actually have been diagnosed at over a thousand MGDL. And they always sound like miracle stories to me that they're alive because, oh my goodness, I can't even imagine being at like 400 for more than a minute. (laughs) And people are are up at a thousand. All right. So what causes DKA? Typically, it's when your body doesn't have enough insulin. We did talk about this in episode 20 about diabulimia, which is intentionally restricting your insulin intake to lose weight. Doing that is basically forcing yourself into DKA and doing some pretty, pretty heavy damage to your body and it can be deadly. It can also happen if you don't get enough food or if you like miss a meal or something. I don't know enough about the science behind this, but it, I think this happens more during sickness than other times because I do intermittent fasting, which means I purposefully don't eat. Like during most of the day, I have my food in the morning and I just don't eat for the rest of the day. So I'm not in DKA and I miss meals, quote unquote, miss meals. So I think it's more about like not getting enough food or like it has something to do with the sickness part. The risk factors for going into DKA include being sick or stressed out, which explains a lot of my sarcastically awesome blood sugars in college. Not taking enough insulin for a high carb meal. Undiagnosed type 1 diabetes. Missing or forgetting your insulin dose too often. Stomach illnesses and infections. Heart disease and heart attacks. Recent strokes. Blood clots in the lungs. Pregnancy. Surgery. Some medicines, such as steroids or antipsychotics. And this is why it's always important to understand all of the side effects of the medications that you take. And this includes illegal or even street drug use. Aren't street drugs just generally illegal? Generally, but you could also like count opioids too, and those are medically prescribed to people. So, and those are legal. So, yeah, street drugs, illegal drugs, either or if you take drugs recreationally, you probably shouldn't, first of all. And second of all, it could help or not help with your diabetes. It's great. (laughs) So, the symptoms of DKA are basically the same as the symptoms of type 1 diabetes and are often the first sign that you have the condition. If you ever present with the symptoms similar to when you were diagnosed, pay attention. You might be in DKA already. So what do you look out for? Dry mouth. Dry skin. Extreme thirst that does not go away no matter how much or what you drink. Going to the bathroom a lot, which is, you know, a side effect of drinking a lot of water. Nausea or vomiting. Weakness. Fatigue. Confusion and lethargy. Flushed face, headaches, muscle aches, sweet smelling breath or urine, belly pain, and shortness of breath. So I remember when I was diagnosed and it was because I had DKA when I was eight and I had all of the symptoms we just listed, literally all of them. It was not fun. From what I'm told, my lungs even started to stop working. That's how high my blood sugar was. 
That's just what I'm told. I remember being on oxygen for like the first three or four days being in the hospital. And I hated that thing so much. It either tickled me like my nose or it made me want to sneeze. It was just really obnoxious. And I threw a fit at eight years old in the hospital. Yes, I did do that. I do remember that. So, yeah. I did not know that. That sounds awful. I'm sorry you had to go through that. At least I got diagnosed, so I didn't die. That's what I'm looking at, so that's pretty Bonus. good. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> so doctors recommend testing for ketones using either a urine strip or a blood ketone meter when your blood sugar is over 250 mtdl for like three hours or longer, or if you have any of the symptoms we just listed. When you are sick, check for ketones every four to six hours. Some ways they will diagnose DKA once you get into the hospital or into a clinical environment include blood work, including metabolic panels and electrolyte levels, urinalysis, arterial (laughs) blood gases, (laughs) blood pressure, testing for signs of infection, infections feed on sugar and having elevated sugar levels and DKA is a buffet table for infections, which is not good. Chest x-rays and electrocardiographs. With me, it w- we were able to tell by the smell of my breath how often I was urinating. And the fact that the- both of those, this is so embarrassing, the fact that both of those smelled like fruit and citrus, like a harsh lime or lemon, from what I'm told. They also did a blood test to specifically check to see what my blood sugar was. They did do a panel test to see if there was anything else that was wrong with me besides my blood sugars because of some family history and I had gotten like chest x-rays and a couple of things earlier in my life. Do you remember what your blood sugar was when you were diagnosed? I can probably text my mom really fast and ask if she remembers. I know it was really, really high. It was, it was really bad. Like I want to say it was like seven. No, I want to say it was like eight or 900. Well, if it's in the seven, eight or nines, you got me beat. I was 544. The next question that I wanted to answer for you guys is, is ketoacidosis the same as ketosis? Like, what about testing ketones? So the short, simple answer to is ketoacidosis the same as ketosis is no, because ketoacidosis and ketosis, and we're specifically talking about nutritional ketosis, are they're absolutely not the same thing. They're completely different metabolic processes. And diabetics are not at a higher risk of going into ketoacidosis if they are in nutritional ketosis. What's tricky here is when people go on a keto diet, they sometimes buy ketone strips to test if they're in ketosis. This is an inaccurate way of doing it. And diabetics need to know that spilling ketones in your urine, which is how ketone P-test strips work. We also, diabetics, need to get those and use those when we're sick, does not mean that you are in ketoacidosis if you are also in nutritional ketosis. The result gets muddled by using those strips for both purposes. You would actually do better with ketone blood test strips, but those cost an an arm and a leg and will probably be expired by the time you use them. There was a period of time where my dad was going through uh, weight loss with uh, 3010 Weight Loss for Life. That's a program that they do. He lost like 90 pounds in three months, but he was using my diabetic ketone testing strips as he was going through this process. 
And he was actually like reading high on the ketone strip, but he doesn't have diabetes or he didn't have diabetes. So that's like a great example of a non-diabetic spilling ketones and using those strips for that purpose. So the fact that it can measure both can be kind of misleading if you're both on the keto diet and you think you might have ketones from like ketoacidosis. So that's why it's like be very careful about using those strips when you're doing both because it might get a little bit confusing. Nutritional ketosis just means that you're intentionally restricting your carb intake to force your body into creating more ketones for the metabolic stability they provide. And this is this is has, has to do with burning energy and like how the body uses uh, fat and carbs for fuel and the differences with that. And nutritional ketosis on a ketone blood meter, so the strips that cost an arm and a leg, you'll see readings between 0.5 to 3 mgdl. And if you're in ketoacidosis, that will show up as five to 10 times higher than that. That's why having the blood meter is a lot more accurate than the strips because you could be spilling a high amount of ketones on the strip, but it would all read as high. And we can post a picture in the show notes of what those like the strips look like. And because you have to compare a color on the end to the color on the bottle and it's like five colors. So it doesn't give you like a really good way of understanding how many ketones you're actually spilling. A good example of like kind of if you're you can look it up would be to look up like a chlorine test strip for a pool. I remember one time those accidentally got confused in our household and we had to like look at the bottle really closely because we had like two we my dad was doing maintenance on our pool and I wasn't having a great day. So we compared them to each other and they looked exactly the same almost. So if you get the chance, do it. I didn't have ketones or anything like that. I was fine. I was just sick. So if you suspect you're going into DKA and you have to, and you have yet to go to the hospital, don't eat anything else. Like seriously, don't eat anything else, even if it's like no carb, low carb, because just having that food will make your body even more angry and start drinking water. There, there were definitely times in college that I just completely skipped meals and chugged water because I had extended highs that may or may not have approached DKA, but I just did my best to take care of myself. That included excusing myself from group meetings and going home to sleep. So if you ever end up in a situation like that, Jesse, don't feel bad. <laughs> just go home and sleep. Oh, I, when it comes to sleep, I am fine taking the time off and just going to do that. So I'm not worried about that. Before we knew that I had diabetes, I was in DKA before we even went to the hospital. Like I was diagnosed when my lungs were shutting down. So I was definitely in DKA. My parents had me drinking like tons of water and also Gatorade too. It was the full sugar one though. If it had been the low, like sugar-free Gatorade, I probably would have felt a lot better than I was doing. And it did not help my blood sugars. I will say that Gatorade unless it's sugar-free, does not help your blood sugars out. But the electrolytes actually help sustain me standing up and keeping me hydrated. So that was like one good thing that came out of me drinking and almost dying. Anyways, so hospitals will treat DKA with insulin IVs, fluid, electrolyte replacements, since a lot of drinks cause peeing. And it will affect your electrolyte balance because you're peeing so much. And adding an electrolyte supplement to the water you're drinking will probably help before you go to the hospital if you feel like you're in DKA. Usually it does. They'll also probably treat you with antibiotics if 
you have an effect infection or they suspect that you're going to get an infection because you're in DKA. And if you're confused about what point you actually should go to the hospital, WebMD sums it up very nicely. They say, call your doctor or go to the emergency room right away if you have any of the symptoms that we're about to t- tell you. And your ketones are moderate to high when you test them using the P-strips or if you have more than one symptom. So th- uh, you've been throwing up for more than two hours. You feel queasy or your belly hurts. Your breath f- smells fruity. You're tired, confused, or woozy. And you're having a hard time breathing. Those are the ones that you need to be really like, I need to go to the hospital if you're displaying those. I had all of these symptoms, but we also didn't have WebND when I was eight or iPhones. So we did the best we could with what we had. I probably would have gotten to the hospital a lot sooner if we hadn't like looked up all of my symptoms on WebND, which we just didn't have. So I stopped eating for like two days beforehand because I just I couldn't keep anything down. So I was throwing up for two or more hours, reflecting on why my stomach hurt so bad. It physically hurt too. It didn't just like, oh, I'm nauseous. It physically hurt. As I mentioned before, my breath and urine smelled really fruity and citrusy and like sour. I was definitely tired, confused, and woozy from not eating, not keeping anything down. I was very dehydrated and my blood sugar just kept going up. And my lungs started to shut down. So I did have a hard time breathing. So if you think you're in DKA or you're putting it off and you have any of these symptoms for two or more hours, you are in the DKA zone and you need to go to the hospital and get treated. It's that serious. And if you don't treat it, nothing good will happen. Your electrolytes stay imbalanced and that can actually cause electrical signal misfiring, which is like really dangerous. You really don't want that to happen. That's why you can actually drink too much water because if you chug like way too much water in a short amount of time, it will disrupt your electrolyte balance and it will throw off your like electrical signals in your brain and it could kill you. That's it's literally that dangerous. You could also end up with brain swelling if your blood sugars adjust too fast, which is something I didn't know. And you could also lose consciousness, go into a coma, and die if you don't treat DKA. It is it is not something that we want to mess with. So when you when if you do go to the hospital and you get treated, normal recovery is complete usually within one to three days in a hospital environment. For my diagnose, I was diagnosed in this, so I was there for about a little over a week. I would say about seven to nine days was what they had me in for. While recovering from DKA, you are going to feel like crap. Absolute awful. Like, it's not fun. You'll have high blood sugar symptoms probably right as soon as you're back into normal range. I do remember that. I felt good. And then I felt really awful when I was able to keep food down again. Because I was back in, like, a, quote, normal range. And then I ate something. My blood sugar didn't go up. But I was just like, oh my, ah, this is not right. And I just didn't feel good. And when you, you've been high for a long time, your baseline will also be higher, meaning you're going to feel really low when your blood sugar is actually normal. So over time, your baseline will reset and go back to normal. I do have a funny story about this. <laughs> so I was in the ICU for the four, first three or four days of my diagnosis. And I remember we test on the fourth Third night, fourth day, we tested my blood sugar, and I think it was like below 300, 
And we had like a celebratory party in my room at 2 a.m. Like my dad was there, the nurses were there, and it was me. And I was like, I have no idea what's going on. So they told me I was in range and that I had the option of getting a sugar-free ice stick, like one of those like sugar-free popsicles. They didn't have any carbs or anything in it. And they're like, do you want one? Like you're in range. You're doing so good. I was like, absolutely, I do. And you know, my blood sugar was still going down, stuff like that. And then all of a sudden I started shaking and I couldn't tell if it was because I was cold or if that was the first low, thoughtful low that I was experiencing. I like my legs could not stop shaking. And now that I'm thinking about it, I probably that was probably the first time I felt like I was low and I just didn't know it. But I was really happy. Yeah, like wow. That's a that's a good story about like weird baselines. Yeah, it was, it was a really weird morning. So in doing research for this episode, I kind of had an, a eureka moment. My friend Alexa and I had this running joke about how every time I went over to her house, it seemed like the air basically had insulin-like properties because I was always low at her house. Like every time I walked through the door, my blood sugar would drop. It was like clockwork. And one time I actually got sick enough to throw up there. And every time we checked my blood sugar... I was still low and it just, it would not come up. And it, it kind of occurred to me that this was probably a complication or a side effect from actually treating DKA or treating a high blood sugar until the ketones cleared out. My entire body was out of whack. So that was like low blood sugar, still spilling ketones, still presenting symptoms of high blood sugar, even though I was like flat 50 and like trying to drink Sprite or something and it just would not come back up. So that was. That was uh, interesting. We still don't know why the air in her house made my blood sugar go low, though. Still a mystery. So here's how to prevent DKA in the future. Your doctor might change your insulin brand or dose. You can work on improving your level of self-management, so how you take care of your diabetes. Maintaining good control. Remember, a non-diabetic A1C is 5.7 and below, and in t- time and range is a crucial indicator of how you're actually managing things. So definitely look that up on, if you have an insulin pump. This will give you a world of knowledge. You might consider changing or ex- or experimenting with different diets, and we've talked a lot about that on this podcast. Wearing the CGM, which is very helpful. Staying hydrated. Staying on your food protocol and meal plans, very important. Exercising regularly will actually help because regular exercise keeps your kind of baseline blood sugar pretty low or lower. Avoid using expired or ineffective insulin. This is very important. Remember that your insulin does not lose its efficacy at the 30-day mark once you've opened it. It will still work for up to two years afterward if you keep it cool and in a dark place. Colleen, we'll take it from here. So that's from my experience with like a really old bottle of insulin left at work during the pandemic. So your mileage may vary. This particular bottle I had opened, I think, actually, I don't know when I opened it because it expired in 2018. And I finished it in 2020. So it still worked. It was like a a third less effective, but it still worked. And that was really old insulin. So your mileage may vary on this, just but don't just throw out 30-day-old insulin because the manufacturer says it's expired. You want, you'll want to see our reference from Diabetes Strong in the show notes for more information about this. She goes into a lot more detail about when you should or when you shouldn't be throwing out your insulin. And that being said, 
do toss your insulin if it's cloudy or if it has clumps in it. Or if, like Jesse, you leave it in a car overnight several times, it turns yellow. You don't want to have that in your body. And like that, those colors, that stuff, that means it's broken down and it's just not safe to use. And that, I would say, was an experiment that I did because I already knew I couldn't use that bottle and I just wanted to see what happened. That's what that was. So don't do that. That was not... That was not clear when we first talked about this. You're like, I accidentally left my leftover insulin in the car. (laughs) Well, I knew I couldn't use it and I accidentally left it in the car. I just wanted to see what it would do if I kept leaving it in there. And I was just like, oh, this is really, it was nasty. It was really gross. It did. I threw it away after like a week. It turned yellow. It dried up. It had like this clump of, I don't know what it was in there. So don't do that. Don't be me. You'll also want to make sure your insulin pump is working properly. Kinked or bent cannulas, and that's just the little tube that feeds the insulin into the body through the infusion site. If those are bent or kinked, that can prevent insulin from absorbing into the body. And if your pump gives you an occlusion alarm, and usually those are very annoying, it will like it'll beep super loud and it will beep a lot and it will vibrate and get your attention. It because that's a problem. It's it's such a serious alarm that it will it will make you pay attention to it. So don't like ignore those alarms. Don't turn it off. You'll want to actually pay attention and monitor your blood sugars. And the same goes for checking for leaks or air bubbles, especially if you can see the reservoir. With the tandem pumps, you cannot see the reservoir. It's completely black and encased. It's like this little bag inside of the the plastic uh, cartridge. But on the old Medtronic pumps, at least, you can see the insulin in the reservoir. Do they still do that? No, so you can't see your reservoir anymore, but it's easy enough to like pull it out and look at it if you need to. Just don't leave it out of your pump for like longer than I would say five or 10 minutes because then it'll push all of that insulin that's from your basal rate all at once into your pump. And that's not fun. That's not good. Yeah, but the old Medtronic pumps like the 712s, 512s, 523s, 723s, those ones can all, you can all see the insulin on the side. So if you have one of the old ones that you can check to make sure there's no bubbles there. And have a plan for what to do if you do approach DKA once or again. Getting ready and familiar with your body's signals and don't miss them if there's a red flag that shows up. Take care of yourself. So I think my only time in DKA may have been when I was diagnosed when my blood sugar was 544. If I did have any other DKA episodes, I don't remember them. I did ask my mom, and she doesn't remember me going into DKA either. When I asked her, though, she's like, did your two seizures count? And like, no, those were lows. So I think she's just kind of completely forgotten all of the essential diabetes information now that she's not completely responsible for me. (laughs) But DKA is a scary topic. So enough said there. Yeah. DKA is not healthy or necessary for diabetes care or treatment in any way. Colleen and I are both examples of not of getting diagnosed and then not going into DKA, again, in my case. But there are ways you can avoid it, and we've both done it. Like it's it's not something that you have to do to either get help or if you're getting burnt out, this does not have to be the end scenario. Yes, it's scary, and yes, it can definitely have long-term effects on your life that will affect you for the rest of your life. Like, we interviewed somebody who was going blind because of her diabetes and because she repeatedly, she did the best she could with what she had. She was 
older with her diabetes, like she's had it for a very long time. But those are some of the complications and effects that DKA could have on your system. And this is something you should avoid at all costs if necessary. Okay, so for the diabetes spotlight this week is on the College of Edinburgh. As of May 31st, Edinburgh College released a new cancer treatment. And I didn't realize this, but everybody, some people may not know that, anybody may not know this, but since cancer and diabetes work in the same way, specifically when the cells are attacking itself, for us with diabetes, it's when the islet cells attack itself, causing there to be no insulin production. With cancer, this could happen with any cell and could cause the destruction of really healthy cells by those cancer cells. In doing so, the cures are going to be very similar because with type 1 diabetes, we can localize it to the pancreas, but with cancer, it can be either like with breast cancer, it can be localized to the breast tissue or an overall treatment like chemotherapy or something like that. So it is a very good step and the cures will be similar in that way where cancer will like the cancer cure will relate to the diabetes cure. But the article states scientists from the University of Edinburgh believe that S lowercase e NBD molecules can trick cancerous cells into ingesting them when combined with chemical food compound without harming healthier cells. So, end quote. This basically means that the cancer cells will start attacking themselves. It's very much like a Trojan horse cell to where the cancer cell will be introduced to this new sebin molecule and trick itself into actually committing suicide on that cancer cell. I know it's kind of dramatic language, but that's just kind of the way it works. Anyways, another quote says, the molecule, which is smaller than the existing light-sensitive treatments, like chemo, can pass through the body's defenses more easily, according to research carried out on human and zebrafish cells, which are very similar to human cells as well. But further tests are required to determine whether the drug can be used as safe and quick method of treating early stages of cancers and drug-resistant bacteria, like insulin and our islet cells. Well, not insulin, but our islet cells and our pancreases. So the article goes on to explain that the treatment itself does not harm healthy cells. It only harms the cancer cells. So this would be like the islet cells that are attacking other islet cells because it's tricking itself into believing that, you know, it's another bad islet cell or it's an infection in our pancreas is basically the best way to describe that. And this is very similar to what chemotherapies do today, but the chemo actually does overall to the entire body, not just localized to one area or the cancer cell specifically. It Chemo affects the entire body and all of the cells in our bodies. That's why kind of your hair falls out and stuff like that because those cells are not producing the way they should. So this is huge news. We should be very happy about this because it is definitely one step closer to a cure. And I honestly don't know why people aren't celebrating this because this is going to affect everything about cancer, about diabetes, about any cure that we have that, or any vaccine or cure that we could possibly have when it comes to infections 
or diseases that are localized to cells or even entire body functions. So we will also list other sources that talk about these new therapies. I did see another article that also explains this very, very nicely. All right. Our question for you guys this week is, have you been in DKA or do you know someone who has experienced DKA? What was your experience or what was theirs? Let us know in the comments. Sharing your story can really help others feel like they're just, they're not alone. And that is it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 102. That's 102. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on our podcast page at thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. I have a Facebook group where I coach people for free in the comments, and I go live on most Saturdays. You can join Life and Mindset Coaching by visiting the link in the show notes. And if you're feeling like you're approaching burnout and might be at risk for DKA, please make sure you reach out to your care team. And if you want help figuring out how to manage the stress, please send me a message. I can help you. I'm on all social media, including Clubhouse, as at Inspired Forward. I'm on the Diabetes app as at Colleen Mitchell. And our email is Colleen at InspiredForward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. If you do reach out on Instagram, please make sure you mention you're a listener of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to listen next week for another episode about real life with type 1 diabetes. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.